Welcome to the Not Your Normal Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nini White, and today it is my honor to interview Lisa McCrowan, a heartful and highly respected licensed somatic experiencing psychotherapist, integrative coach, educator, author, and poet who is dedicated to creating a more compassionate world for all. At the conclusion of part two of this conversation, we'll be sharing Lisa's contact information where you can learn about uh, and explore her many beneficial offerings. Lisa, welcome, and thank you so much for making time to share some of your insights and wisdom. Um, Really great to have you here. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Good. Yay. As you know, I discovered you when I came across an article you wrote titled Raising Girls Who Are Includers Instead of Mean Girls. Mm -hmm. The title of that article stopped me in my tracks because Mm -hmm. we all know and probably all have stories about mean girls in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And now I have some questions for you. How would you feel about sharing, starting out by sharing a little of your own experiences with mean girls from the time when you were a young girl? Sure, sure. Well, this the article came up because uh, a few years ago when I was experiencing something for the first time with my own daughter and just some mm. playground things that were happening. And it's like, wow, that is happening so young where there was this sense of exclusion that, that mm. girls were showing. And so, mm. so it made me reflect on these times that, uh, especially in middle school that I wrote about in my article, uh, that, that really, that was really my first experience that I can remember of, of where girls have this sense of, uh, where there can be this sense of, um, where there can be some bullying and there can be this sense of like excluding from things. And, um, how the, how part of the story goes is that we were living in Virginia when I was, we, we moved to, and then we moved to Ohio in sixth grade for sixth and seventh grade. And I was all excited to start at the school. And at first I started, we started at the local Catholic school. And within a few months, I was really just begging my parents to go to the public school because a lot of the girls were just so mean. And I had never really encountered that before. I was a pretty Mm. vivacious and um, active and sporty uh, young girl. And, uh, and they did just did some things like my my maiden name is Ackerman, and they they changed it to like Lisa Acneman because of course you know Uh-oh. sixth grade you know oh yeah girls start to get oily skin or some breakouts there and yep. so it just things like that um, and then so my parents finally said okay let's go I'm sure like they would they would allow me to go to the public school. And so off to the public school I went and and I was excited about that. Funny enough, instantly a group of girls took me in. They had invited me to sit at their lunch table. And within about maybe a week or two, I can't, I can't remember now at this time, but it was like, and I was, I was all excited. It was like, oh, I've got a good group of friends. Ooh, it was all like, yeah. kind of like, oh yes, it's over, you know? Okay. Right. Um, then one day I, I, maybe two weeks into it, I, I walked into the cafeteria and and I tell the story of like, oh my goodness, like I stopped when I, and I nearly dropped my little brown paper bag lunch. And I saw that at the table there were, where I had been sitting for the last couple of weeks or something, um, that the number of girls at the table was eight and eight was the maximum number of people. It was a school rule that you could have at one table. 
And so I could see from across the room that the lunchroom, they're like, oh my gosh, there's, there's not a space for me. And the two girls who are like, kind of like the, the queen bees, the leaders, I could see them whispering and then looking at me and then everyone turned around and laughed. And I, was, I know. And, and so I was a little bit naive and I, and I, I actually went up to the girls at the table and asked, you know, is, is there a space here for me? And then, you know, of course they all said no and turned around mm. and were laughing and all that. So, oh. so I quickly, quickly, like no middle schooler wants to be noticed. And especially a new one. I, I went and found a table. I, I saw a table that was empty and I just sat there and I, and I sat there not only that day, but I sat there for a long, a while, maybe a couple, even months by myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would slowly go to the, at the end of English class, I would really go really slow right before lunch to go to my locker and you couldn't stay in the bathrooms or you couldn't stay at your locker. And I hadn't really gotten to know any of the administrators yet and things and didn't really see them as allies. And so I was really just taking it all uh, on myself. And so, uh, and that's where I'd sit. That's where I would sit for a couple months until things shifted a little bit. And those, the, the, the girl, and eventually I am sure I sat at the, maybe even sat at the uh, same table with them, but um, those girls actually continued um, through sixth and seventh grade to, to be somewhat, now that I can look back and see they were the queen bees and they were, mm-hmm. um, they were bullying and, and they used the sense of exclusion uh, again, no, never any fights or things like that. So nobody really noticed uh, mm-hmm. or addressed it. And at least in the administration and stuff. And yet it really had an impact on me. Of course. And yeah. and now you're a counselor. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm a psychotherapist and, uh, and, and I, I do talk to you about how those experiences then were formative, but then they also some of the precious things that that I learned and came out of those as well, but and that we hope then for our children as well that when they when they do encounter these uh, difficult situations, especially with friends and things that become so important in middle school and high school, that then there is this sense of resilience that they that they have and and is uh, and has grown and and that capacity to deal with adversity. Uh, grows over time. And so I feel like because or out of those experiences, because I, I had some of the supports I had and that we can get into, that then uh, I really just became this, I became actually an includer and and an includer, not only just with the people that are around me, but first and foremost, learning how to mindfully uh, include the various parts of my own self in my uh in my way of having self-compassion and self-regard. And then that oh. is then extended then to others. So, yeah. Oh. yeah, that's, that's, that's not an obvious, but it's a deeply important uh, dimension of this whole challenge. So mm. that's very beautiful that you bring that up and, mm. and not common. So I love to hear that you say that. Mm. Um, how do you specifically, can you give us maybe one or two examples sure. of how you specifically can help children build that resilience for themselves? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I feel like even in, in my work with, with clients, um, most of the people that I work with in coaching or psychotherapy are, are parents. A lot mm-hmm. of them are. Mm-hmm. And varying from like the little ones through the, the teenagers and even young adults. And so as early as we can start <laughs> is great with, yeah. with the, with these kinds of practices. Uh, 
like now, here's just one, uh, what I call uh, look with love, Uh, look with regard, look with love from when they're little to all the way through the teens. And especially in these days of technology, when we're just, we're all on our phones and our, and our, our heads are down and we're in our phones, but Mm. these moments of looking at our children with regard, with love, and it just as simple as making eye contact. Uh, now I know this too, now as a somatic experiencing psychotherapist, like uh, how the nervous system comes into play and the role that our nervous systems play with one another. And just by engaging a little bit with our tone of voice, our, our smile, our eyes, how that then nourishes um, a sense of okayness and safety uh, in, a, in a child. So these, and that you matter. I mean, really it's sending the message in these little ways with these looks of love uh, that mm-hmm. you matter. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be this doting over mm-hmm. overboard thing. It can just be like, like when a like guy did this with, with my kiddos when they were, when they were uh, like, let's say preschool and coming back from picking them up from school. Uh, it would just pause for a moment. Like even if we were in the, in the, in the, uh, the pickup line, uh, and there was a lot going on and getting them into their car seat and stuff, just pausing for a moment and be like, hey, hi, love. It's good to see you. Mm-hmm. And again, making that eye contact mm-hmm. uh, and sending the message, like, I see you, I regard you, I love you. I mean, those are the these three messages that I'm often uh, telling telling clients and things like that. I see you, you belong, you matter, you're loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and so that those, those love looks or those look with love. And, and the, the, yeah. your emphasis on that, it can happen in a moment. It can really yes. happen in a moment and it's almost, it, it's completely powerful. We don't have to feel like we have to stop everything we're doing no. and lift everything. And yeah, it's just, yeah. if it's 100%, it can happen in a nanosecond almost. Yes. Because yes. we all have that antenna and children are super. I mean, what, what do you want to say about that, about children's sensitivity to those moments? Is there something you could share with us about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we could go into how there's, there's, we, we have these things called, called mirror neurons and how like mm-hmm. uh, when, when I, that, we talk in the the SE world, the somatic experiencing world, about how nervous system speaks to nervous system. So yes. when we're pausing to acknowledge and just have presence, and that doesn't mean like we can't have frustration, hurry, and all those other things within us, but we just we we come and like, okay, wait, I'm just gonna pause for a moment. We're like, hey, how are you? Like that that then their nervous system is pinging off of ours, especially one of their little guys. And then of course, all the way through, um, you know, our teenagers and having young adults that then there becomes this, there's this soothing sense of like, you, well, you just feel connected and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of connecting hormones are then running through us uh, rather than the adrenaline and everything else and, and things like that. But there's a sense of connection and connection heals. That's one of my phrases too, like, Connection heals. Connection heals. Yeah. And so that little moment of acknowledgement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we can't live without it, really. We will. No. Yeah. The no. the opposite of that is obviously disconnection. Yes. And and that's where we see just all the horrendous problems and 
And what we see in the news now is just too heartbreaking about what's happening at the border, but we won't go there right now. Um, Yes, yes, exactly. But I mean, it's real. It's real. It's it's to acknowledge how we are physiologically set up to connect. But um, so I I just so much respect what you're emphasizing here. Um, When children are on that receiving end of mean girls Mm -hmm. treatment, they Mm -hmm. need skills. So, Mm -hmm. so you do have sometimes young children. Is there something that you tell them specifically to help them have a bigger picture of what's going on or have, Mm -hmm. what, what do you help Mm -hmm. them to do so that they can be strong within themselves? Yeah. And again, I feel like these things are all built up over time and then yet we're, we're aware of them when, when we come into as, as parents, as, uh, when, when something happens. Uh, but if we're building up that sense of presence and regard, we're sending that message. And so there's this sense of like, okay, I matter in this world. Um, but then yes, of course they will, they will meet these experiences of meanness. They just will. Right. So, so the biggest thing that I, that I work on and talk about with, with parents is first what's happening within them before we go into, to, uh, taking care of our children or, or addressing it. We first need to pause. And again, you can, you know, that I'm then trained in mindfulness and everything that I do then is based on mm-hmm. mindfulness, but it's mm-hmm. this pause of like first acknowledging like what's happening within us when our children start to share a story of, of what's happening and, and to acknowledge what's happening within us, but then also to get grounded, like, okay, literally like feeling our feet on the ground, like literally sitting in a way that, that, um, that allows us to get a good breath and to exhale fully and, and to, and to get grounded so that then we're responding versus reacting. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, all of us are going to have like the, the mama bear come in and those kinds of yeah. things. So because, because we don't want to rescue our children, we want to coach our children. Mm. And there's a really big difference. And we can still get involved. We can still talk to teachers. We can still even talk to the parents or, mm-hmm. uh, or administration or all those things or the coach or those things uh, when, or the instructor or teachers. But really, we want that to be coming whatever action we end up taking and however present, whatever kind of presence we end up having with our children. We want it to come from a place of responding versus reacting. Mm -hmm. And when these stories come up from our little ones coming home and saying, you know, um, you know, Jill was mean to me on the playground and she, she, she didn't include me and said, I couldn't play. And, um, we, we, we need to acknowledge that. Yes. Like we get really emotional about that. Like we instantly want to protect our children and that is right and good. And we want to support them to have the inner sense of resiliency to deal with adversity uh, in a way that then they are going to have the internal skills to be able to deal with that. Uh, And so at at various ages, uh, the, we are going to, our, our involvement might, might change, you know, or of course it should change uh, mm-hmm. over time, whether we have our little ones or our big ones. But the idea is that we are coaching them developmentally appropriate. We are coaching them mm-hmm. um, versus rescuing. And there's yeah. a whole big thing there too, which you, you know, you talk about in those things, all the things that you talk about in your podcast and your work is about uh, supporting parents and be able to to be present to their children to coach them rather than like rescuing and to build up that sense of resilience in our children 
Yeah, it's so important. Yeah. So, so almost they can. One of the things that I did um, when my kids were little and I would hear about mean mm-hmm. kids or even grouchy teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever done this. I would invite those families or those teachers over to have a share a meal with our family mm. and just act like did you ever do anything like that it just it yeah. was just changed oh good I'd love to hear about that yeah yeah so so I think the first the first going back to your original question too the first thing of like mm-hmm. of like what do you do in those moments and so that first thing is like to to get grounded to to like come from a place of responding versus reacting and then just to give presence to our child and, and hearing their story, like, Oh, tell me about it. Those simple words of, well, tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what happened. And then I often tell parents, well, then go with feelings first. So the idea of feelings first of like, so acknowledge and help them to name their feelings. Well, mm-hmm. so it might be like, maybe a kiddo can really name what they're feeling. And, and sometimes they can't, but if he, if they can't, then help them to, to like, well, it sounds like you're feeling sad, mad, frustrated, or you felt excluded. Right. By doing that, you're acknowledging the, the feelings that are going, their experience of what's going on. And then children begin to settle. And then even if they can name their emotions, but you are just repeating back like, wow. So if they say, yeah, I was really mad about that. Like, yeah, so you were really mad about that. Hmm. It sends the message to our kiddos that, that like, I see you. I see you and I, and I hear you and I acknowledge what's happening and we haven't corrected anything. We haven't, we haven't analyzed anything. We haven't gone into course of action yet. Uh, we haven't gone into reframing with our children yet. The whole first part is us getting grounded first as parents and then coming from a place of gentle inquiry of like, and, and presence and tell me about it and then going with feelings first. And then there's this sense of relief I feel seen and we move out of that fight or flight or they move out of that fight or flight too. And then we can come into a place of like, well, so what do we want to do about that? And that next part then can be like, maybe they, maybe then the two of you um, identify some things like, okay, well, what are some, what are some ideas that we can do about that then? Uh, and it might be like, Hey, let's invite some of that. Let's invite your friend over and have them over here and show them how, how we do things as a family and how we invite them to dinner. And we have these fun conversations, um, uh, and those things. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it did work sometimes other times, um, maybe not so much. I was just wondering if that seemed practical to you. Cause I was in a, a very, uh, college community and, mm. you know, faculty. So we all kind of knew each other. So there wasn't any, uh, distance. So it was mm. kind of a special situation where I could do that. But, um, but I, think I love the way, oh, I, was oh, say- oh, I just wanted to say, I love the way you have these steps for us so clear. So but what, what did you want to say? Oh, I was going to say too that, like, I think we actually need more of that, like where we actually know each other as human beings, because mm-hmm. often the person who is bullying um, and, or the, or even the teacher then who is really, really frustrated to those kinds of things. Like mm-hmm. when we see each other as human, and often that comes, that happens then over a meal, sitting down and actually having a meal. I think, I really do think this is something that we need to resurrect. We need to bring back. Mm. This time of just gathering around a shared meal, it can be a potluck. It could, you could even say, hey, one hour, that's it. Because I know mm. people like they in our schedules, like, we all get really busy. Yeah. But there, but when we come around the table and, and we are with one another, 
these there's this sense of inclusion there's this sense of community there's a sense of like oh that other person is human mm-hmm. both from the bully and the one being bullied and all of that and and there's yeah and there's and there's this sense of community which i really think that we're missing in our culture and so we it, it humanizes us and yes. uh, and it and it and it connects us so yeah. actually i think that's a great solution that we could bring back one of yeah of course yeah. many um i want to um say let's uh stop this episode and then sure. we'll pick up and we will talk about what an adult a teacher an administrator can talk about can how, how they can help in our next episode is that all right good. yeah sounds good okay wonderful i love talking with you lisa we'll get back to each other soon okay okay thank you wonderful so We're just taking a quick break, then you can listen to the second part of this important and enriching interview whenever it's convenient for you.